Welcome to Creative Income, a podcast that focuses on making a living in the creative space. Whether you're an actor, filmmaker, musician, painter, or anything that doesn't fit the nine to five mold, there is value for you here. I'm Lars Lindstrom. Let's get into it. Hey everybody, Lars Lindstrom here. Welcome to Creative Income. I hope you're doing well. I just wanted to take a quick second to thank our sponsor for this week. This episode of Creative Income is brought to you by me alone in my office and nobody else. That's right. It's just me alone in my office. What is it? 10 p.m.? Yeah, 9.58 p.m. right now. Just, uh, you know, getting this thing done because I'm actually uh, headed out. I'm, sh- I'm recording this on Monday. This drops on uh, Wednesday night, but um, or sorry, Tuesday night. Um, I am leaving for uh, nine days, nine or uh, ten days to do a few things, a couple commercials, um, and we're doing some in San Diego, and then I'm getting on a plane, and we're going to Tucson, and then I'm, I'm finishing up in Massachusetts. So I'll be gone for the next ten days. Uh, can you just do me a favor and like pray for my wife with two kids at home, please? Uh, she really needs the extra prayers right now, and she kind of hates me. So maybe pray a little bit for me as well that uh, she's still here when I get back. Uh, anyway, um, really fun episode this week. Uh, this is, I've worked with Noah a thousand times. I've done over a dozen commercials with Noah. Uh, he's got his own company, Station 22. Um, just a really intelligent guy. And you'll get it from him. I mean, his vocabulary is fantastic. And uh, his knowledge is better. So uh, you're going to really enjoy it. So I think with that, let's just jump right in it. See how we do. Noah, thanks so much for being here. Really appreciate Absolutely. you taking the time. Absolutely. Um, so if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and tell the uh, listeners and viewers uh, who you are and what you do. Who am I? That's the that's question. Uh, mm. I'm Noah. I'm Noah Clark. I'm a business owner. Uh, I own a production company. I am a director. I'm an editor. I'm uh, a telephone psychic. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're many You're hats. a cinematographer. You're a sound operator. You, you well, do it all, right? Well, thanks to you now, I'm a cinematographer. Yes, I do. I do, you know. <laughs> Why all thanks to me? I'm, I'm curious what your answer you. would be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Why, why? Why? Did I did I teach you too much and now you're not going to hire me anymore? Is that what I happened? I know too much now and that's the problem. Yeah. 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 As soon as you brought two Amiras, that's when I knew I'd, I'd spoken oh God, too much yeah. about my love for Ari. Well, yeah. you know, it, it, it actually took me a long time that to really proclaim what it is like I do. Yeah. Um, I think we all sort of have that problem in the creative field. At some point, mm-hmm. they, they call it... Um, call it something they call it like imposter syndrome or something right yeah yeah if you say like you know i'm a director it sounds like you you have to say it with a confidence to know that you are a director now you and i have worked together i've been a director and i how many projects have we worked together on like i don't know a dozen maybe a I dozen or more a lot yeah. a lot and and good stuff but it takes yeah. a long time to i think to announce with like you know authority like what it is you do you have to believe it first yeah, no, I, I, imposter syndrome is super real. I still deal with imposter syndrome as a cinematographer, honestly. Uh, speaking on that, um, what advice do you have for, for young people starting out? How do you get over imposter syndrome, if ever? Um, I, so I think that the, the way you can get over imposter syndrome is to learn, what do they say, like jack of all traits, master of none? Yeah. Um, so I am a director. I feel very confident about that. Um, I am an editor. I feel very confident about that. Uh, I am a motion graphics artist. I feel very, com- uh, very confident about that. I am, I now I'm calling myself a colorist, even though, so I'm not trying to make money as a colorist. No, it's true. I know. I, I know. This I know is it. how you get over imposter syndrome is 
you learn a little about a lot of things because then you can communicate what you're trying to do to those people. So I was so intimidated, you know, 20 years ago, I was so intimidated by a camera. I bought my first, what was your first camera, Lars? It was actually the um, T2i. Oh, really? Like so, the Canon? So yeah, like, I, I, was gonna, I was going to buy, um, yeah, it was the Canon mm-hmm. Rebel. I was going to buy one of those like Canon XL2s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then right as I was pulling the trigger, Canon announced the uh, the T2i. So I didn't have a camera for quite a while, actually. It's like I was I was interested in it and I shot things on like mini DV and, yeah. um, you know, yeah. I, I had uh, at school, we had that like Sony X1U or something like that that I thought was incredible. It was like a $4,000 mini DV camera. I was like, and now can you imagine, can you imagine shooting on that now? It's just such a piece of junk. And honestly, well, like you got your foot, footage back and you go, there really isn't anything too special about this, but at the time no, it just seems so no. unachievable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember I went to the Sony store uh, in Sony, like Sony in their lot, they have like this B stock store and I bought the Sony TRV 900, which was like this little like mini DV probably still have it here somewhere it's like a little tiny mini dv flip out screen by the way if i never shoot anything else ever on like a tape and login capture i'll be very happy but i bought well, this I little thing i think I you're like, clear on that one yeah yeah for sure i i convinced myself that like like i had made it like this was it you know <laughs> <laughs> did it have a did it have a touch screen with sapia effects Oh yeah, CP effects came in like yeah. you know, like star wipes and everything like. Yeah, oh, through. absolutely. No, no. no uh, my, advice, my advice to anybody who's dealing with imposter syndrome is learn everything you can about whatever it is you're trying to do, because when somebody asks you about it, you have to speak intelligently about it. Like you know, I probably overstepped my bounds with you too much as a director, as you know, telling you like, mm, can we open up a little here and do this and da 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 da. But that's because. Yeah. You know what you're doing. I know what I'm doing and I know we speak the same language. You know, if I came in here and I said, you know, oh, I want to make it a little bit more, you know, magic or some bullshit that I was trying to like, you know, it's because <laughs> but I, I can figure that out. See, I almost, I almost wonder if it's because I, I hear a lot of both, right? I hear uh, that. Uh, uh, what was the saying? Master of none. It's like jack of all trades. Master, master, of, trades, none master of none is uh-huh. what you don't want. Right. I hear a lot of people say you got to be a Jedi in one craft. And then understand the very, 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 very basics of everything else so that you can't communicate, but be a Jedi in that one thing. So I'm curious why you, you uh, prefer to kind of just be almost not a Jedi, but definitely um, intelligent in just about everything. Well, it's just necessity. Um, hmm. When It's the same reason when I buy gear, I don't rent it out. I want everything just like in-house. If somebody calls you tomorrow – Um, and a lot of people probably watching this will relate to this. If somebody calls you and they say, you know, it's a Tuesday, can you guys do a shoot Wednesday, two camera setup, lights, sound, blah, blah, blah. I have two options. I can either a go on to like share grid, like rent a bunch of like cameras, lights, or like maybe call up people. I call you and then I call a gaffer and I call a sound person and da, 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 or I can walk over to the room, pull my two cameras, pull the lights, pull the sound and do it all myself. Now I've learned actually, and we can talk about this later in your podcast, Mm. but like I've learned there's a good reason not to do that, but doing that method actually allowed me to learn about all those things. Um, And I think having that like on the ready, being able to now intelligently talk to uh, such a talented 
DP like yourself or talk to, no, you are, come on. Or, or talk to a sound, you know, recordist or talk to a colorist in the Bay or talk to somebody and say like, this is what you're looking for. I think you're, you're going to get a better result. And I think there's really something to that. Yeah, I agree. Let's, uh, let's take a step back um, for a little bit and talk about how you first got started in the entertainment industry and what were you doing? How are you making your money? Uh, well, I wasn't kidding about being a telephone psychic. (laughs) (laughs) You've never told me this. (laughs) Oh, I had lots of interesting jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. No, like, you know, 14, I was a a bus boy at a, at a, at Gladstone's in Malibu, you know, Gladstone's. Okay. Let's, let's fast forward just a little bit. Wait, 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 wait. There's a good story here. (laughs) Okay. All right. And then I, it was like 17 and I answered an ad for, uh, sorry, I was 17. I was working security at a brothel uh, for a very well-known madam. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. No. This is, podcast is getting more interesting, by the way. Yeah. Wow, yeah. And I answered an ad for a, for a telephone psychic, uh, and I was working that job, 17 years old. By the way, there's only three things people want to talk about. Uh, uh, let me tell you, teach you the, the, the rules to being psychic. There's only two things people really want to talk about. Can you guess what they are? Sure. No, I'm not even going to try. I don't want to embarrass myself. You tell me. Let me me be psychic and tell you right now. You're either having some problems with love. No, no. Is Uh it money? Is it love or is it money? There's something going on with love and money. (laughs) And guess what? Your life never has changed. It's the same same thing. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so my my good friend, uh, Mick Pacifici, who is a uh, a talented – shooter and actually he's making his living as a DIT now, um, turned me on to a friend's company and they did, um, which is, I believe how you got your start, Lars, they did weddings. Yep. That's right. They did, uh, events and weddings and actually debutante balls. If you've never been to a debutante ball, you don't have have. very weird thing. Yeah. Um, I, I cut my teeth for like four years, five years, uh, maybe no, not five years, four years as, a wedding editor videographer i taught myself you know the very first uh uh, your manual ken burns effects oh my god should we tell your (laughs) listeners about that story sure very briefly stone age before you could do uh, before you could just add keyframes to something if you wanted to do like a ken burns effect on a picture we had which this is they slowly push into an image right yeah yeah so if you want yeah. to like move into an image or move out or move left or move right we had this like physical plate that you would put a picture on and there'd be a camera <laughs> facing down it, it i have like ajadu even thinking about this story by the yeah. way this is a painful this is like the part of the interview where i start crying okay so, great if you wanted to get that effect, you would have a camera over this plate and you'd set like a key point. Like you'd say like, okay, the plate's coming closer to the camera now or, back, yeah. or left to right. Yeah. And then you, once you were happy, you'd hit record on the camera, stop. And that was like your push in. <laughs> and then you go left, stop. It stop. was awful. It would take like all day. And yeah. then, you know, the bride would call you and say, mm, you know, my cousin Larry just gave us this uh, new picture. Can you put it in the middle? And that meant back in those days that like you literally had to do the whole thing over. I don't know how we got into this, but weddings yeah. is how I got into it. I did that for years and um, I actually did a run. Um, did you, did you start your own wedding company or were you working? No, uh, no, 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 no. I was working yeah. for this thing and I always had sort of, it was a good fit. I think creatively, um, creatively I took to it right away because 
I, I, I don't do well in a nine to five. Uh, I think a lot of, I think almost all of your listeners will relate to this. I can't yeah, like check in at nine and check out at five. I don't, I, I'm fine to work every single day of the week, but not if you tell me I have to. <laughs> Does that make sense? It does. And you do. You probably work like 10 hours oh, a day I'm, every day I'm of the week. Actually at work, I have a job behind me. I'm getting to color tonight. But the point is like, if you tell me I have to be there Monday from nine to five, I, I hate it. If, if it's my, <laughs> if I'm in charge of me, uh-huh. then I love it. That's the difference. Yeah. I think a lot of people relate to that. So I was doing this wedding job. I was doing this wedding business, taught me everything I know about shooting and editing. I can't recommend that enough. Mm-hmm. Not weddings, God no, but like finding your thing. Like no, finding, but I agree. I never, I never did not knock weddings, man, because weddings. I mean, it really did teach me a lot, and it and it did. Uh, it it gave me time to practice and kind of experiment and learn the craft of natural light and editing, and and so but I still use a lot of those that, skills. You bullshitted your way into it. I remember you told me you're like someone yeah. said, like, do you shoot weddings? And you're like, yeah, I, I did. I yeah. lied and said, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah hire me. <laughs> no, so I anyway, I was doing this going to pick up this thing and take it to another editor for some reason. And I went to, I I remember this so clearly. I went to his bay and I'd never been into a proper editing bay before. My, my editing bay was just like, you know, this weird set of old machines. And he had on his desk, a computer, two monitors, two computer monitors and above like a 55 or 65 inch TV. And I, Mm. you know, some decks or whatever back in that day was decks. And I thought to myself, I thought to myself, I want this. Like, no, it seems stupid to say, but like, I thought, (laughs) (laughs) I thought I want this. Like I want to be an editor with the one, two, three monitors and the thing above. And so I focused my energy on that. And, and, uh, the very next, uh, year, it was actually even six months later, I rented my own studio. And I remember back in the day, it was like, you know, nothing. It was like a thousand bucks a month or something like this for this two room studio. And I advertised myself and there was this thing, you know, LA 411. I advertised myself as an, as an editor and a shooter. And I started making videos and it was all because I saw that one thing and I knew I wanted it. Where was yeah. your Where was your money coming from to buy all the equipment? Because your overhead, I mean, editing equipment's mm-hmm. gotten a lot cheaper over the years. But uh, I mean, I remember we had a family friend that was an editor back in the day slash director. He had half a million dollars sunk into his, his studio. Oh yeah, stuff has definitely certainly gotten a lot cheaper. Um, so where did I'll you get the you- capital to build that initial two room studio? Yeah, so I'll tell you that every single cent that I ever earned, I put back into the business. Mm. Is that still true today? Uh, it's still pretty true, which harkens back to a, 10 minutes ago when I told you that, you know, if you need to do a shoot tomorrow with two Alexas and a light and a whole thing, I have it ready to go. Yeah. But every single cent I put back in the business and I don't regret that decision. I mean, obviously, when I say every single cent, I was still eating and paying my my rent no, and course. all my yeah. stuff. Like, but but. Uh, I, I just kept reinvesting in the business because I knew that if it was going to be a success, I had to believe it. Yeah, I had to believe in myself. I had to invest in myself. I needed to make others believe and invest and in, in, invest their time and energy to you know because we we do is creative. It's very hard initially to assign a value to what you do. Would you agree with that? 
Oh, absolutely. I remember the first wedding I did was $400. That was to, to shoot and edit. And I probably spent, I don't know, three or four days editing. You know what I mean? So it's like, that to me was really exciting. You know, this paid freelance gig was just like very new and very cool and exciting for me. And I thought $400, I was doing great because it was half the price of my camera. You know what I mean? But, uh, but of course things change. And, and by the time I exited weddings, I was charging $6,000 a wedding, you know? So, well, so, and it was the same work, you know, and actually faster because I could edit faster at that point. Yeah. I have this story I'll share with you. I was, um, I was, um, meeting with this woman who was doing DRTV, direct TV, like uh, infomercials. Hmm. And she came to me and she wanted to like, she had heard like that I was doing videos. No, 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 sorry. Wrong. She found me in the LA 411, which I paid by the way to advertise. And it was like 5,000 bucks back in the day before Google and all that stuff. There was this like wow. super thick book <laughs> like this, like a, like a fuck, like a, Oh, I can't swear on this. It was like an encyclopedia <laughs> Of like all the production companies and I paid for a full page ad, which was like five or 6,000 bucks. So she found me, Yikes. she was doing infomercials and she said, uh, I want to do this infomercial and I want you to make a proposal and a quote for me. So mm -hmm. I, God, I still remember this so clearly. I spent three days thinking of every possible <laughs> thing that I would need for this. <laughs> to make this infomercial and the number i okay. came up with was <laughs> the quote, number i the came up to do with a job to make this entire job was six thousand dollars and i was so okay. nervous <laughs> i was so nervous to share this says, no yeah no it was i was so nervous to share this amount six thousand dollars like how is anyone going to pay me because you know like i said assigning your worth knowing your worth so mm -hmm. I was like, $6,000, like, is she going to go? And I talked to my friends and my family about this $6,000, like it was such a big deal. Anyway, cut to the chase. We meet at like the Starbucks or whatever. We, we discuss the project. Nervously, I slide my brief across the table <laughs> and she looks at it and she looks at it. And I had this like whole presentation, so well done. And she gets to the bottom line. Yeah. And she goes, $6,000. She goes, is that sorry, is that for our meeting today? What is that for? And I said, no, that's the <laughs> price of the infomercial the production. And there was yeah. this like awkward pause. And I had this moment of fear. I'll never forget this. It's so like burned into me. I had this moment of yeah. fear that I had asked too much. Yeah. And I'll never forget this. She goes, huh? Oh, and I'm still thinking like, oh God, I asked too much. She goes, oh, I thought you were going to say like, she goes, oh, I thought you were going to ask me for like 250,000 or 300,000. <laughs> and what, I was what like, went through your mind? Yeah. Like I'm trying to, yeah. Well, first I was like, <laughs> can I swear on your podcast? I was yeah, like, sure. you know, like, oh, beep. Like, yeah. <laughs> like that was a possibility, you know? Yeah. Uh -huh. But it really like opened my eyes to like, ah, this is, I'm dramatically undercharging for my services. There's a whole mm -hmm. other world where this stuff exists, blah, blah, blah. And that was sort of the gateway project. By the way, she's still my client to today, which is interesting. You, and you charge her $250,000 per project, I'm sure. <laughs> I, she, she, we've, we've raised her, her quota from, from, from 6,000. Yeah. From 6,000. Uh, Great. Yeah. But, um, 
learning to learning to value and establish your services is something that I think every is a growing pain that every creative income person yeah. probably watching this has either been through or will go through. And I'll tell you this right now, if you're watching this and you haven't, or listening to this and you haven't mm. assigned a value to yourself, I think the good thing to do is to open up a text document, write one paragraph about what you do and value your services and then just repeat it and like believe in it and believe it or not, like that simple like mantra will generate that work at the price range you're looking for. So uh, taking this into practice, you had this experience. Um, do you remember the next time? Did you do that video, by the way, for $6,000? No, she actually went with somebody who charged her $200,000 <laughs> and can I swear? Beeped it sure. up. And yeah. she came back to me to fix it. Isn't that interesting? After all yeah. that? So here I am trying to charge $6,000. She goes to the someone who charges her a couple hundred thousand dollars. They completely mess it up. Oh. And she comes back to me to fix it. Yeah. And now she's one of your clients. Yeah. And has been how for- many, How many years later? For 15 years? 20 years? Oh, God. I've been doing this. I'm an old man, Lars. Um, I've been doing this professionally 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then the next time you had a client knock on your door and say, I want, I want something done. Did you, did you quote them 20,000, 40,000? What did no, you learn from that it experience? Took me a while yeah. to build up the value of what I was worth. In fact, that was just the eye-opening experience. Um, I still sort of knock need tried to like, you know, not, I went up from 6,000, but I remember from 6,000, I went to like 10,000 and then from 10,000, I went to like 15 and then from 15 I went to like 20 and then yeah. there was a certain of course point. it depends on the project right but oh, uh, no but yeah. no of course wait I don't want to get people watching this thinking like yeah you know every project's different yeah um, obviously I've worked with you on a lot of projects that were only you know 20 or whatever but yeah but yeah. um there there comes a point where you get to um establish a value for your services because essentially what we're making is art and what is art worth? And that's a tough question to ask because mm -hmm. there is no baseline set. So in the industry, so who, who, who you're making this for cinematographers, for uh, audio people, for painters, for anybody's making right. creative income, right? That's right. Yep. Right. So what is the value of what you do worth? And that's the question that you have to ask yep. yourself. And that's the question that that it takes forever. You know, you take, um, give me an, give me an example from the art world, Lars. Uh, yeah. Painter, oil painter. Painter. Uh, someone I, I, someone wants me Pollock, to. Right? Okay. Take Jackson yeah. Pollock. <laughs> sure. Jackson Pollock is dripping paint on, on a canvas. And if you don't know who Jackson Pollock is, I'm sure you do, but look him up. <laughs> yeah. And you, you look at that and I have a nine-year-old daughter and I think like that is something my nine-year-old daughter could do. <laughs> and, you know, here we are, if, years later and David Geffen is buying a, a Jackson Pollock for $140 million for some yeah. like drizzled paint on a canvas. And that's right. because there's an established value. It's not just like a supply and demand. It's a, it's an established value. When you first start yeah. something, and I'm sure that with that imposter syndrome we talked about earlier, that you can relate to this, but when you first start something, if you set your value, people will believe your value. If you set your value low, it's almost impossible to recover from that initial value set. 
So, so moving forward, you mean working with that person again? So for example, I'm not going to name names because just in case they're watching this, but I used to sure. work for this PA and the PA worked for like, I don't know, 150 bucks for the day or something. Mm-hmm. And I worked with him for like a year. And over the year, I was paying him 150 bucks regularly for being a PA. This was years ago. I think PA is more now, but um, he came to me and he said, oh, I just got this. Uh, I think it was like you, it was like a rebel or like a 5D or 7D or something like that. And yeah. now I'm shooting. And I said, oh, you know, thinking in my mind, like that's cute, whatever. And uh, he goes, but now my, now my rate is 350 a day. And I said, hmm, okay. And then he came to me a little bit later and he said, now I'm directing and my rate is $1,000 a day. Hmm. I said, oh, that's interesting. He goes, well, I've been actually been directing quite a lot recently. And now my rate is, uh, you know, $2,000 a day. But in my mind, I could never get over the fact that I had paid this person $150 for over a year's time. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I was he coming back to you to, to be a PA still? Like, was he coming back to say like, yeah, let's PA some more? Or was he no, coming he back where you hire him as a director? PA. He was saying, hire me for this other thing. And guess what? He was actually really good at those other things. He had moved up. He had applied what his knowledge. He'd watched people like yourself who were very talented. He'd looked at what they were doing. And he was actually really good. But it took me yeah. a long time to establish, to reassess a value to that person's skill because I had known them as the PA. Now, and when yeah. you come in and you and I work together and just in case people are watching, I won't tell you what you charge me, but it's a good, it's you $20,000 a day. It's yeah. $20,000 a minute. Yeah, um, that's right. No, no. It's, I mean, you, you, you get a good rate as a DP, you're an established DP, but I met you as an established DP. Right. And so my value, my thought process, my, my value assessment of you has always been that you make, that if I'm going to hire Lars, it's going to cost this. So I think like, a, an interesting tooth, an interesting thing also with the with value is once you say like let's say you're this uh, you're a young DP and once you say like no I'm a thousand dollars a day when someone hires you for a thousand dollars a day that imposter syndrome starts to creep in and it makes you push yourself to give them the best possible product. So I almost think that it's a win win, right? So when you value yourself and you and you position yourself in a in it with a high value like that, you're going to deliver a thousand percent every time. And I think that, uh, that that's a positive thing for the client because they get a, an amazing product and it's a good thing for you because you've now said, this is what I'm worth and this is what I'm going to get. If you want to be hired again, you'd better deliver. <laughs> yes. <laughs> deliver. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, you know, that, that client I told you about that I was so nervous for the $6,000 for, by the way, that was a 30 minute infomercial, by the way, just want you to understand. Wow. It wasn't a 30 second thing. It was a 30 minute in infomercial. $6,000. Now you understand. Okay. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I was so nervous, but 30 How minutes. Um, during that job, she asked me if I could do uh, motion graphics. Now I'd heard of after effects at the time. And I said, yes, I can do motion graphics. <laughs> And so what did I do? Yeah. I spent two weeks. And by the way, there was no like YouTube or lynda.com or like any of that stuff to like yeah. teach you back then. I like wow. literally sat down in front of a pro in front of a program. I had no idea. Did you read the manual? <laughs> no, but I like, <laughs> I just went to like every menu thing, like file dot dot. What does this do? 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 I, I spent two weeks like, and when I say two weeks, I don't mean two weeks like casually a few hours a day. I mean like 
I was locked in my studio learning After Effects. And that's why today I know After Effects because of that one job. So mm-hmm. an advice I would give anybody, and this is the, the, the jack of all trades, is learn everything you can, mm-hmm. but, but make sure when you present yourself that you can do it, that you do an outstanding job. But that's up to the individual, of course. So you started as an editor. Uh, you, you had this little studio as an editor and people come to you and they start saying, hey, can you produce as well? Can you direct as well? Can you put this whole thing together? What gave you the the courage to, or the, the lack thereof of something just to say, yeah, let's, let's go for it? Hubris, you know, the want, yeah. the want to do more. Um, I don't like not knowing things. I don't like the fact that I was an editor and I was seeing all this cool footage, but I had no idea about, you know, what lenses were, cameras were, how they worked. So um, I remember this was, so I started my business in 2000. And I think this was like 2005 that I kept hearing, uh, 2006, that I kept hearing like, but can you shoot this as well? Can you shoot this as well? Can you shoot this Mm -hmm. as well? And finally, I just like was like, yeah, I'm going to, I said, just said yes. And I went out and I just like, I think I even like PA'd on like, just to learn. I like said to, I, I, I called some local DPs that I knew and I said, listen, I will work for free on the next four jobs you have if yeah. I can just shadow you. And I just mm-hmm. want you to, as you're doing something, explain to me what it is you're doing why you're doing it and how it works. And of course, you know, five, five of the 10 DPs I talked to said, no, that sounds awful. I'm not doing that. And then the other five were like, yeah, man, like, come on, I'll show you. Yeah, I'll teach you. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I learned like, you know, like, okay, like, you know, if you open this up and you see how much light there is and I'm going to drop an ND and then da, 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 da. And like, I was like, oh, like, that's what that, that's what those, what does this map box do? Like, what is the point of it? So it was only through like curiosity um, mm. and necessity that I learned. And by the way, my very first job where we were hired as a production company to shoot something was a very well-known infomercial, which was not the, the other oh, person I want to talk yeah. to you about. It was for a makeup brand that I'm sure if you said you would know, but my very first job as like a production company that also shot was something that was noteworthy because I sat there and I just like, Learn, learn, learn. Hmm. So talk to me about uh, as you start to grow, maybe your your facility gets bigger, um, you're bringing on bigger clients, you're hiring employees. What have you been able to do to uh, uh, adapt? Because you said you've been in the industry 20 years. I'm sure things have changed. We went through um, a period in your career where film was kind of everything. And if you wanted it to look good and cinematic... And then that dropped out and digital kind of took over. I'm sure with that, prices came crashing down. Uh, competition mm-hmm. came up. So mm-hmm. what have you been able to do uh, to pivot and stay afloat through all these changes in the industry? That's a good question. Well, I remember, I think it's good to set a baseline for this question. Um, I remember going to an edit house. There was this high time in Los Angeles, by the way. when Oh, oh you know, you were part of it? or I wasn't you, part of it. You were on but, the other uh, side of it. I yeah. was on the other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. I have two, two little characters that changed this whole thing, which was, you know, 5D, Canon 5D changed this exactly. whole thing. But yeah. basically I went to this edit house I was working uh, with, and I won't say the name just in case you're watching, but we want to talk about the opulence that was 
the baseline originally. Um, I was working at this edit house that did spots for Coke and for Nike and blah, blah, blah. And they were charging $1,500 an hour mm-hmm. for their work. Now think about like that in terms of, you know, um, who makes, uh, what did, who makes that? Lawyers make like four or $500 an hour, you know, like doctors make charge. four or $500 an hour. They yeah, were making that's, I mean, $1,500 yeah. an hour. So I walked, you walk into the lobby. Uh, I remember this girl pulled up on a, like a little like motor scooter moped with a tray of sushi in her hand. I'll never forget this. This is real. This is a real thing that happened with a tray of sushi Yikes. and said, would you like some sushi? And I'm like, sure. And then she's yeah. like, Here, this, you can rent this moped. I mean, not rent. I mean, you can have this moped. And I would drive the little moped like around this huge <laughs> like <so> hangar <laughs> facility. And, you know, like the guys on the flame and all this stuff were making this much money. All of a sudden, what comes into the industry, and this is what you're talking about, the digital revolution comes in. There's this thing by Canon called a 5D. Camera. Camera. For those of you who don't know, it's a DSLR. It was, you know, what was We've it? We mentioned it probably what four or five times on the podcast. Price of that, like 2000 yeah. $3,000, $2,500. $2,500. Yeah. So instead of like spending like, you know, millions of dollars on stuff, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, everybody and their brother was a DP. Um, it was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. My uncle is a DP. It's like, really? Final Final Cut Pro. It was like Final Cut Pro 6 and the 5D Mark. One, by the way, I started on one and the the Canon 5D and you were in business. Everybody was a DP. The problem is they started and they said, yeah, I'll make you a video. And guess what? The video, the commercial, whatever, say you're making a commercial. The commercial wasn't a a million dollars. By the way, back then, a commercial standard budget was sort of like, what what was it, like two to four million dollars, something like that? Yeah, one one to three. Yeah, something like that. All of a sudden, the Canon 5D comes in. Guess how much my my uncle's, my brother's uncle will make you that video for? He'll make you a commercial for 500 bucks. (laughs) And then the weird yeah. thing was, by this point, I was already, by this point, I was already in a, sort of like I had made that imposter. This is after, this comes after that story of the $6,000 and the imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I was established by this point. So, so you were making good money at this point. I was already making good money. I was loving, like I was renting this three room studio, three edit based studio with like a huge lounge at this point. Uh, I was in Venice, which was cool. It was a cool spot. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm competing against people who will make you a commercial for 500 bucks. And to tell you the truth, hmm. I mean, like 90% was garbage, but 10% of the people, probably like yourself, really knew what they were doing. And it really yeah. looked great. And it, was, it suddenly became very hard to justify a creative income. You know, how are you going to charge $2 million for a commercial when somebody's going to make it for 500 bucks? So what I, my advice was always like, I'd say, go make the commercial with them. Spend 500 bucks. Like, what is it? You know, go check it out. And yeah, what have you got what, to lose? And see, yeah, what do you got to lose? And see, and sometimes, you know, they, they came to me and said it was great. And some 90% of the time they said, you know, this person knows not what they're talking about. But it's not because of the equipment. It was because they just didn't know. They didn't take the time to learn their craft. And, yeah. and Lars, you are so good. Of all the jobs we've worked together, um, you have such a wonderful eye and you always know how to set something up and you know, you, you work with such a speed. If, if anyone watching this has not worked with Lars, 
he's amazing. He's check out his work. He's amazing. I hire oh, him. Thank you, Noah. I know I will. I mean, how many times have I hired you? And by the way, yeah. we've worked together on like big commercials and we've traveled together and we've done a lot of these things together. And a, a, a lot of it is the, um, the look you get. I'd say that's about 80% of the reason I hire you. The other 20% is okay. just, no, no, it's, I mean, of course, it's paramount. Yeah. And the other percent is attitude. It's just like, you know, you have a great attitude. You work fast. Um, I would say anybody watching, uh, I keep saying watching because you, you're, you're making a <laughs> podcast that, that you have a video component. But Yeah, we throw it up on YouTube too. Yeah, yeah, most, yeah. Mostly listeners right now. Okay. So anybody watching or listening, I'd say check out Lars's work. But uh, it's the speed and it's the attitude with which you work. And I, if I, if you take nothing from what I'm saying, attitude is everything. What do I always tell yeah. you? What do I always tell yeah, you? When, when you, when you hire my crew, people. exactly. You say, don't anytime, I, anytime I bring you a new crew person, you ask, are they grumpy? Are <laughs> they grumpy? Always, <laughs> it's always the key grip. Is well, the key grip grumpy? Gappers, they're always grumpy. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, gappers are so grumpy. They have a thorn. Yeah, you know, I would even, I would even venture to say, no, that uh, it's more like 50, 50, 50%. What's your work look like? 50% what's your attitude and, and how fast are you? Um, and I, cause I, I do think that it's honestly, I'm, and I'm, I can say this cause it's me. I'm a dime a dozen in Los Angeles when it comes you to are not a dime a dozen. What is this imposter syndrome you're kicking in, <laughs> in your own podcast? Lars? <laughs> no, but the I, but I do, do think that there's yeah. look beautiful and yeah. you do it with elegance and you do it with confidence. And that's why I hire you. I don't hire cool. you for your cool name, Lars. Um, although that's a good reason. That's about 10% of why I hire you. Just your name. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice little icebreaker for people. Yeah. Lars Lindstrom. That sounds like a cinematographer. <laughs> Can't wait to hear his accent. What? Yeah, yeah. And then they're disappointed. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, cool, man. So, so then, so we've got the studio, things are going well. Now you, I, we didn't really hit on the pivot though. So what did you do Sorry, to make sure so that your overhead? Yes. Yeah, so we got this. Yeah. yeah. Commercials are charging between two to 4 million. By the way, if you don't know nowadays, a commercial, that is even a big name like mm-hmm. Coke and Nike. By the way, Coke is one of my uh, Nike, Brother, Coke, Lexus, McDonald's. These are my current clients. clients. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, a modern commercial for a big name client no longer goes for $4 million. What's the, what, what do you think? Like 250 350 What's like a normal commercial? Yeah, 200 200 is kind of that, that uh, sweet spot that I keep seeing. Yeah, uh, for a big commercial, you're doing like a, a thirty like second a television like, commercial, like, yeah, like a, like national spot. Thing. Yeah, it's like two to three three hundred thousand dollars. It's kind of yeah. where we've settled. So, up. But, big, so you go a tenth. That's from two million to two hundred thousand. Right, right. We've now shrunk that by a tenth. Yeah. So the the way the div- digital pivot hit was, and um, I was a post production and production facility. Mm-hmm. The difference is. I have never now, even today, where I'm sitting in my I'm sitting in a edit bay at my place. Um, I have never hired a full time employee. I Ooh. always find really good people that I hire to do what they do. I find the best DPs, the best editors, the best colorists, the best sound people, the best everything, and I hire those people per job. And that's wow. the difference that, that the reason I was able to, all those other companies that went out of business is because they were sitting on a staff of like 30 people. people. Yeah, yeah. 
30 yeah, their overhead. They were, I, some of their burn rates were probably a million dollars a month. Well, you know, what do you do if you go a whole week and you don't have a job and you have 50 people to feed? You know, like, what do you do? So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, you're out of business, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's fascinating. I actually never knew that about you because you have a beautiful facility and I didn't realize that you were the sole employee of that facility. Well, I'm, I'm the sole employee of my corporation. Of, yeah, well, of course, yeah. Of which I, that hires lots of people. You should also probably talk on your podcast about the benefits of corporation versus- Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's break it down because both you and I are S-corporation. Yes. Um, and, and I'm curious why you like S-corporation. Ready, set, go. <laughs> is this being as, a, as opposed to, is IRS watching this? Um, yeah, no, no, no. All right. As opposed to, and, and I, and I absolutely, there are some tax advantages, but S corporation is opposed to an LLC, which is essentially not a taxable entity. It's just a sole proprietorship. So, well, a sole yeah. proprietorship means that you, all the money that comes in, all of the income that comes in, all of the things that you own, your house, your car, the laptop, the camera, the every little thing you have belongs to you the, it's it's all one thing it's you it's just it's you. you there's no protection you, you this is the company yeah. Yeah. yeah so if there's ever a problem all of that stuff all of the thing that you work to build is at risk. jeopardy yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that's, that's what llcs are for so you can you can have an llc and that protects just your business assets but it's still taxed as a sole proprietorship now you can also have an llc under an s corporation Mm-hmm. So you can protect the corporation from from many other things as well. But so, uh, yeah, I, as far as I understand, yeah. yeah, I chose an S yeah. corporation, which means Same. that I need to pay myself a reasonable salary. Mm-hmm. Um, but the company itself can make or lose as much money as it wants to. The company can get sued. Uh, whatever. Let's. I mean, God forbid. But like, you <laughs> yeah, know, of course. No, no, of course. But yeah. But there's a layer of protection there um, that inherently just protects you from so many things. I can't recommend it enough for those of you who are watching or listening. I keep saying watching, (laughs) listening. Yeah. There you go. For those of you who are engaged in this podcast, um, there you go. I would highly recommend becoming an S corp because it encapsulates you from a layer of risk, but it also provides you tremendous, um, just look it up. Provides you, provides you tremendous tax, uh, uh, yeah, uh, so there's the social security tax. So if you're a sole proprietor, you pay 15% social security tax. And under S corporation, you only pay the 15% for the salary you pay yourself. The rest of it is seven and a half percent. It's cut in half. So that's, that's a tax advantage. The other thing I like about S corporation is that it's, it's, um, impressive for loans. So it's like, if you, if you have an S corporation, it's easier for, in, in my mind, I don't know if this is based on anything to get a business loan to finance equipment. Uh, than otherwise. If you're a sole proprietor, good luck. They are going to break you through. And also, tell them about the 179. Oh, the 179. I mean, you can do 179 tax deduction. I think you can do it as a sole proprietor, can't you? you? I think so. Yeah, 179 tax deduction is is a tax write-off for equipment. And you can write off federally up to a million dollars a year um, for a calendar year and not use depreciation. You can write off the full amount for a calendar year um, for certain qualifying equipment. So, but I, I think you can do that as a, as a S corp as well, or sorry, I'm sole proprietor. Yeah. But if you do, if you buy a million dollars worth of things and write them <laughs> off and then you're sole proprietor and then somebody sues you, you are. They, they can come after those things. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They can come after your house. They can come after your your kids. No, I'm just kidding. They probably can't. Come after <laughs> yeah. Your kids. yeah. No, no. But that's that's what LLCs are for. And and an LLC again, this I understand it is not like an actual entity. It's just a protection. It's a limited liability company. So you can you can protect yourself as a sole proprietor, or you can protect your corporation. That's all it is. But um, but yeah, I I love the advantages of S corporation. There's a lot of um, I don't like to have my taxes withheld when I do jobs. So as an S corporation, I can do something called a loan out or a 1099 um, rather than have to be on payroll for that company. So there's, there's a lot of uh, benefits for me. So I don't have to pay taxes all throughout the year. I can just pay it at the end of the year after I do all my deductions. I think this ends your tax portion of the podcast because that's right. (laughs) We don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I should probably mention that uh, I'm not a CPA. You should not take anything I say. Literally, this is for entertainment purposes only. Right. Yeah. (laughs) How did you, what was your story, by the way? I'm very curious. You may have talked about it on other podcasts, but what was your trend? I know you, you one day said, sure. I do weddings. When somebody asked you, what was your transition story? Uh, this guy named Noah said, Hey, do you shoot commercials? And I said, sure I do. And I lied. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are on a podcast. No, um, I, it was, I built the wedding business and the last year I did weddings, I did 38 well into the six figures. Um, and I got burnt out on it. So what I, I just transitioned, I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I, um, sold the the company and I bought an Alexa and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do cinematic things. And, um, and I honestly, I pivoted, I used the Alexa as leverage to get onto more interesting sets. And I did it really, really cheaply at first. I said, I will come with this Alexa. And it was very impressive at the time, you know, people were doing small music videos, even feature films or short films for me to say, I don't care what you pay me. I'm going to show up and we're going to make this look awesome. I've got this Alexa and they went, Whoa, yeah, let's get that guy. And so there was like maybe six, 12 months of that, of just doing anything I could at whatever rate I could to get the footage for a good reel. And mm-hmm. then I could actually be a serious person and, and you know, pursue people and, and pitch uh, with actual good looking content. Yeah. Yeah. So you reinvested back in yourself. Oh, and 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 I, yeah, I'm going to talk about reinvesting, you know, in equipment a lot on this podcast. So, so I am curious. And you've got this. Um, you do a lot of production now. You've got an editing facility, but you also do a lot of production. You own all of your gear, almost, right? So it's 100%. like when, yeah. Uh, why why was that valuable for you? Well, like I said, uh, you know, if you called me on a Tuesday and said we have a a, a ten, five camera shoot tomorrow, you know, what are my options? I could. Years ago, I could drive over to Wooden Nickel and deal with deal with that, or like you <laughs> Get know, all the lights and yeah, yeah, go to yeah. Claremont and, and pick up a bunch of cameras, yeah. right? Or I could, you know, nowadays I could go on ShareGrid and drive over to Burbank and find somebody's, and then drive over here and pick up a lens, and drive over here and pick up a light, and drive over and realize here. it's missing the viewfinder cable, and then you drive oh back to Burbank God. and yeah, and yeah. then or I could have it all ready to go. Um, and you know, what's interesting is a lot of the stuff has actually made me money in interesting ways during the pandemic, so. Um, you've been to the, my facility. Other people who yeah. are listening to this haven't been, but we have a, a you know a, a big psych over here, and we've got a, a sound booth over here, and we've got edit stuff over here. During the pandemic, um, I had previously invested in live streaming equipment, and it wasn't to become a live streaming company. It was just because 
and this is what we were talking about earlier, but it was just because somebody said to me uh, a few years ago, do you do live streaming? Now, I'd never done live streaming ever before, but I said, sure, I do live streaming. By the way, put a pin in that. Here's my biggest advice. If someone says, do you do something? You say yes. Yeah. Then yeah. you figure it out. <laughs> you figure it out, <laughs> you man. You figure it out. Um, no, but so I invested in this live streaming equipment. Then the pandemic hit. I realized I have a green screen stage with, you know, like having Alexa sitting right there, all these lights, the mics. I have this thing. What was very valuable in the pandemic? No contact. Mm -hmm. So here we are in Culver City. I had all these people come in. And I advertised myself as a no contact stage. And what that meant was the lights and the camera and the mic and everything was set up, flick of a switch. I'm here behind double glass in a control room. Mm -hmm. They walk in, boom. I have three, four monitors set up that I port the Zoom, the director or whatever out to. And so that was a creative, you know, use that was a creative income use of something that I already had. So yeah. establishing yourself is one thing, realizing what you have, and that's you're talking about why did I buy all this equipment? It just continues to provide as long as you're aware of an opportunity, are able to identify the opportunity and able to pivot at any moment. You know, I'm a production company. That doesn't mean that I'm not a COVID friendly stage, right? So for you, was owning equipment more out of convenience or was it uh, a means to make money? Uh, it was both. Yeah. Yeah. What I mean, do you, it, was there any priority for you? Was it uh, more convenient than it was nice to make the extra cash or was it? Uh, um, I think it was more convenience. It was 70% convenient for me. That mm -hmm. has also 70% made me, I think my math is good. There's 70%, 70%. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 140% made me cash, but... But it was, uh, yeah. it was because of, it was because of, I mean, you know, put it this way. You, how many Alexas do you own? You own three or four or something like that? Four. Yeah. Four Alexas. Yeah. And you've yeah. got, you've got your like beautiful prime lenses. And last time we shot, we shot on those on anamorphics and da, 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 da. If you had to go and rent those every single time, I probably, and you've, by the way, you have a, a big grip truck and you have uh you know, you have all these things. I'm sure. Why did you, why did you invest in those things? Was yeah, it, it was both. And, like and I think it, at first, it maybe it changed for me. So at first it was heavier on the convenience side, mm -hmm. right? Because I, I hated, especially the grip truck. That was a risk for me. I, did, I, I wasn't sure I was going to make any money and it ended up being one of my best investments. But um, I, I went into it because I hated building grip and electric lists for every job. Right. Couldn't stand it. Oh, it drove right. me crazy. So now I just like go, I go scout a location and I go, cool, my truck can handle everything here except for this one thing and I'm going to need to rent that from Wood and Nickel or whatever. And oh, it's God. just it's just one light or one thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Instead of an entire, you know, 300 item list and you just forget like one part of the menace arm kit and you're screwed. You know, I, I'd much rather just have that entire thing on a truck and I know it's there. I know what it's capable of. And that for me was always been convenient. It just happened to make a lot of money. The cameras are different. Now I'm buying lenses that I'm not planning on using at all. I'm just putting in a rental house and it makes me money as an investment. So there's it, it started as convenience, pivoted into make money. And it's worked. I mean, every time I yeah. hire you, you say, 
you know, I'm this much. If you want to add the cameras in the grip truck, it's this much. And we do because it's convenient. And I know you have everything you need. And plus you light everything with one light anyway. <laughs> oh, you've noticed. Yeah, I've noticed. I'm teaching you too much, Noah. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm going to, I'm going to throw you off in the next shoot and bring all the lights out. Yeah. 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 Well, cool, man. I, is there any, is there any advice you have for a uh, young creative starting out? Uh, anything you'd like to, to say one piece of advice? Know your worth, say yes to everything, um, and do mm. your work. Like, don't say yes to something that you don't have any intention of completing. Yeah. You're only as good as your last job. I mean, when I said yes to being an editor, I just went went in full force. When I said yes to being a production company, I went in full force. When I told that woman for the uh, the beauty Informal brand, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I do motion graphics. What did I do? I spent two weeks in my garage with After Effects, just like learning it, like 12 hours a day, you know? So if you say yeah. yes, do it, but you're going to end up better. You're going to learn a skill. You're going to be more valuable to, uh, as, a, as a player on set, as a player in your creative industry. I mean, of course, I'm speaking more to the uh, people who do what we do, which is, you know, film and TV and all that stuff. But yeah. I think no matter what you do, if you learn a new skill and say yes, as long as you follow through on it, which you need that hunger and you need that, that, that drive. But as long as you say yes and you do it, you're set up. You know, the next time someone says, do you do motion graphics? You say, yeah, and you mean it because you, <laughs> you do, you know? Yeah, I love yeah. it. Great. Thanks so much for being here, man. We'll let Absolutely. you go. Yeah. Okay, we'll catch Speaking you next time. Which I got to get back to coloring this this job over here, but yeah, it's the first time you've ever opened Da Vinci, right? The fair, my first time I said yes <laughs> to it. I always say, I think I've said it maybe on one or two of your sets. I love doing it to client. I have to know the client well though, before I can do it where I'll say, I'll show up on, on a set, you know, commercial. I'll say, wow, I just, I really, I, I just can't thank you guys enough for trusting me on, on the very first time on my very first commercial. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do just to see people go. Ooh. What's your advice? What's your f- advice for the first time? You probably, maybe you've said this a bunch. I've said this a lot. Yeah. But um, I, I love what you said about say yes to everything. I mean, you're starting out, um, get in the habit of saying yes to everything. So you know what it's like to, to work for other people, right? So you'll have plenty of time to be creative you'll have plenty of time to be an artist and follow your passions and be artistic and interesting and weird or whatever you want you'll have plenty of time to do that once you've made money monetizing your passion and to do that you have to say yes to people and you have to to understand that for a little bit you're not going to be that artistic creative whatever for that makeup brand you're going to do what they want you're going to say yes you're going to figure it out you're going to hone in on your skills you're going to perfect the craft. And then someday when you're making boatloads of money because you said yes to all those people and now are paying you a lot more than $6,000 for a 30-minute infomercial, you can sit back and say, now I'm going to follow my passion and I, I'm, I have this money. I've got this cushion. I'm going to be creative and I'm going to do what I want. So that's my advice. Well, do what you, you know, what's the old adage? Like do what you love and you never work a day in your life, I think. Yeah. Sounds corny, but you know, um, there's, there's a really interesting uh, one of my favorite philosophers, Alan Watts, he said, he said, this is an interesting experiment here for your listeners. He said, okay, I want you to imagine that you have an infinite infinity sign next to your bank account. Like you have an amount of money that you could never get through in a lifetime. You could never yeah. spend it. Whatever it is, a billion trillion dollars, 
don't worry about money. That is now out of the equation. It's yeah. gone, right? Now, what do you want to do with your life? And what do 99% of people say? Can you guess? Uh, I, no, I can't live on a beach and drink Mai Tais. They, I don't say, know. Tra- they say travel. Okay. Okay, yeah. And so now, you've, you have all the money in the world, and you've been to every beach. You've been had all the Mai Tais. <laughs> you've been to every cave. You've been to every meadow. You've been to every mountaintop. You've been to every village. You've, you have the money, and you've traveled. Now, what do you want to do? Once you've got all that out of the way, and that answer is what you should actually be striving towards. You know, mm. if that, whatever that thing is, that is something you should be incorporating into your daily life. And for yeah. me, and this sounds super cheesy, but I would be doing what I do. I really love what I do. It's I so fun. really, it's really, so fun. really love yeah. what I do. And yeah. so we find create, that thing. We get to create all day. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to sign off with that. Thanks so much, Noah. Okay. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Again, I am traveling this week, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to try and record an episode with the director of these commercials. I'll see if he's up for it. If, if not, then we'll figure it out. But um, maybe I'll just do a little, you know, podcast from the hotel room or something like that, because I think we're, we're ready for another solo Lars thing. So have a great week. We'll see you next time. Yeah.